we are talking about uh, joy. And, uh, you know, we're using the word song interchangeably with joy because when you have joy, you have a song in your heart. We looked at Jesus and joy in the last sermon uh, because joy is so important. I'm going to give you a, a review of five reasons why it's so important here in just a minute. But uh, joy was mentioned at the birth of Jesus, and we'll be celebrating the birth of Jesus here in about a month, and I want to just remind you that at his birth, they talked about joy. And uh, at his death, just before Jesus died, joy was mentioned by Jesus himself. Just before he left this earth and ascended into heaven, he talked about joy, that your joy would be full. And then when I thought about Jesus and his joy, I remembered Psalm 45 and verse 7 that is quoted in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9 when it said this about Jesus and his joy. It said, Jesus has been anointed with the oil of gladness or joy above all others. So Jesus is our example when it comes to joy. And I gave you in the last message five facts about joy. I want to go over those with you very quickly. Number one, joy is vital to your testimony. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, you've got a story. You've got a testimony. As a matter of fact, you can go on our website and see videos of people who have told their story. If you're discouraged, if you're kind of down and out, you got the blues, you ought to go on there and listen to some of the testimonies of the people in our church as they tell their story. And what makes their story so powerful is that they have the joy of the Lord while they're telling it. Our words have no power if we do not have joy in our words. And then we discovered that joy is very fragile and it can be lost. And that's what we're actually talking about in this series, how to guard it, how to guard your joy. We talked about how you must constantly evaluate through the scriptures. You must constantly evaluate your joy. And uh, we brought up the fact that if you're not sure whether you have joy or not, ask your spouse. They will tell you the truth, won't they? Amen. And so we got to evaluate our joy level. Where is your joy level this morning? Our joy must be cultivated. It has to be worked on. Joy doesn't just come to you. you got to go get it. you got to work on it. Cultivate your joy. And then we discovered, and I got uh, quite a few messages through email and Facebook uh, about this last one when I talked about it, that joy is actually a weapon. When you're going to battle the enemy, you're going to need joy. The enemy can't stand joy. He can't stand it when God's children are filled with joy especially when you're going through a dark time in your life, when you're going through a dark hour in your life and still you have joy, the enemy can't stand that. He can't stay where that is. And we talked about uh, 2 Chronicles 20 and how the song of the Israelites in 2 Chronicles 20 defeated the enemy and the song in your life, the joy in your life is a weapon against the enemy. So if your joy is low, today, uh, if you're looking at your circumstances and not looking at your blessings, if you're counting your troubles instead of counting your blessings, then your joy level is going to get low. And when your joy level gets low, hear me now, when your joy level gets low, you become vulnerable. You become vulnerable to the enemy. So we're talking about the Israelites here, and uh, God had been very good to them. 
God had been very generous to them. Now, as I go through this, I want you to listen very carefully because what I'm about to say really applies directly to your life and to my life. God had been very generous to the Israelites. Can I just ask you, and would you respond by applause today? Has God been generous to anybody in here today? Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good. And when the Israelites were focused on the goodness of God, when the Israelites, I said, were focused on the goodness of God, when they were focused on the blessings of God, when they were not rebellious but submitted to God, when they were thankful, when they were appreciative, when their hearts were filled with gratitude because of the goodness of God, then they were full of joy. You see, thanksgiving is the foundation of joy. Because even when you're going through a dark time, if you can remember his blessings in the darkness, then your heart will be filled with thanksgiving. And when your heart is filled with thanksgiving, I mean when you are humbly grateful rather than grumbly hateful. That was good right there. Write that down. So when you are humbly grateful, my friend, you are going to have joy in your life. Joy comes from seeing the goodness of God in your life. Now, presently, you might be going through a very, very difficult time, but it is important that you reach back in your mind and remember your blessings because when you remember your blessings, watch this. When you remember your blessings, then you become thankful. And when you become thankful, then you become joyful. And when you become joyful, the enemy cannot continue his attack in your life. That's good preaching on a Sunday morning right there. These people of Israel were known for their joy. They were known for their music and dancing, their singing and celebration. But a lack of appreciation for the goodness of God, a lack of appreciation, a lack of thanksgiving opened the door for the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come in. Are you hearing me today? Not being aware of the goodness of God in their life opened the door. It made them vulnerable. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar and the captives came in and took the children of Israel captive took them out of the land of Canaan, out of the land of milk and honey, out of the land of promise, out of the land of plenty, and carried them to Babylon. And there they sat down on the banks of the rivers of Babylon. The Bible says they did weep because you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Now we're not going to read the whole text like we've been doing because I'm going to go through it in the message today. But if you want to follow along in your Bible, you need to turn to Psalms. The book of Psalms, chapter 137. And if you're new to the Bible, it's in the middle, right in the middle. Psalms 137. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. In studying these Psalms, we are looking at, or these verses in this Psalm, we are looking at four basic things as we talk about the importance of guarding our song. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Guarding 
your song. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then the song that I'm talking about, you don't have it in your heart yet, but you can before you leave here today. All you have to do in this service today, even right there where you're sitting, now at the end of the service, we're going to all come up to the altar, and you can come up to the altar, and you can do it at that time, but even right now, did you know right now while I'm preaching, you can say, Jesus, I've gone as far as I'm going to go without you. I'm not going any further without you. I've tried to live my life without you. I've tried to live my life on my own. I've tried to live my life apart from you and apart from your word and apart from your church, and it ain't working out very well for me. And today, I stop running, and I bow before you, Jesus. Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead and paid a debt I could not pay, Jesus, who is coming soon, I give you my life on this Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. You can do it right now. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. He welcomes you. He welcomes you. Four basic things about guarding our song. Once we have a song, and if we are a child of God, we do have a song. Number one, I want you to notice the misery of a believer in bondage. The misery of a believer in bondage. And we see it in 137, the first part of uh, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and yea, we said out loud, wept. They wept because they were miserable. They did not realize how good God had been to them until they didn't have it anymore. And when you get away from God as a child of God, you're going to have a misery about you. There's going to be a sense of isolation and coldness about you, and you can't have that restored until you, like the prodigal son, come back home. Come back home. Some of you here today who are followers of Jesus remember a time when you were closer to him. You remember a time when he was sweeter when he was nearer, when he was more powerful in your life. But you're not there this morning. And there's a misery. God's calling you back. He's calling you home. The next thing we talked about was also in verse 1, and that is the memory, the memory of a believer in bondage. Because, see, when you lose what you were enjoying that you didn't appreciate, you remember what you had. And they remembered, Psalm 137, 1, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, when we what? Remembered Zion. Zion's another word for Jerusalem, when we remembered the blessings of God in Zion. And then the third thing we talked about in the last message was mockery. Because if the enemy can get you away from God and get you in that miserable place where the only thing you have left is a burning, stinging memory of a better day with God, then the enemy is going to mock you in that place. He's going to laugh at you in that place. Some of you are there this morning. Some of you are there. Let me tell you something about Satan and how he works. He's your tempter. He's your tempter. He calls you away. He calls you away from God. He lures you away from God. Satan is your tempter, but he's not only your tempter. Once you fall into that temptation and commit that sin, he becomes immediately your accuser. And the very one who lured you into sin then turns on you and begins to mock you and laugh at you 
and criticize you. Do you hear me today? There is no love in him for you. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the sooner we wake up to that, the more successful we're going to be as Christians. Look what it says in this, uh, at this third point in verses 2 and 3. We hung our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And that verse goes on to say, and they, they said, sing us a song. Hey, you Israelites, you're known for your singing. You're known for your joy. You're known for your happiness. You're known for your dancing and your celebration. Hey, I know you're not in Jerusalem, but sing a song as if you were in Jerusalem. Can I tell you something? You can't sing Jerusalem song when you're in Babylon. And that brings us to our fourth point, and this is the final message in this series today, and I want to talk to you about the melody Finally, the melody of a believer in bondage. So when they said, sing us a song of Zion, the people of God responded, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign or strange land? The Lord's song. The Lord's song. What is the Lord's song? Let me tell you what the Lord's song is. The Lord's song is a song of deliverance. The Lord's song is a song of deliverance from bondage. That's why I said when you come to Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he brings you out of sin. He calls you out of sin. Listen to this. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, he takes you out of the world and puts you in his family. You have been delivered. You have been delivered. If we've got some people here today who have been born again by the Spirit of God and you know what I'm talking about, can I get you to give a praise to God again? you got that song of deliverance in your heart. So how can we sing a song of deliverance as Christians if we are in captivity? When we sing a song in church, what are we singing about? If you will think about the songs we sung this morning, they are songs of freedom. They are songs of deliverance. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 32 and verse 7. Psalm 32 and verse 7. You, Lord, are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. Can I get an amen on that? But look what else he says. You shall, you shall surround me with what? Songs of deliverance. Selah. You say, I was doing good till you got to Selah. What in the world is that? It means pause and calmly think about it. Pause and calmly think about it. So let's do that. You are my hiding place, O God. You, O God, shall preserve me from trouble. Anybody need that one, preserve from trouble? You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Now I want you to calmly think about that. Selah. You remember Moses, don't you? Moses, and a lot of times people don't remember who Moses was, Charlton Heston. <laughs> there are young people here going, I still don't get it. Moses, Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage. 
The children of Israel were under the cruel bite and sting of the taskmaster's whip. They were slaves in Egypt. And Moses is a picture of Jesus. He is their deliverer. He is their emancipator. And he leads the children of Israel out of bondage. And he starts toward the promised land. And you remember how God calls the Red Sea to open up and allow his children to cross over unharmed. You remember that story in the Bible. And then how when Pharaoh and his armies and their chariots got into the water, and they were going down that same path God had created as he had built up these walls of water on each side. When the children of, uh, when the people of Egypt got in there, God released the water on them and those armies were drowned. And you remember how God set the children of Israel free, how he, listened, how he delivered them. Now, we're not going to study this this morning because we don't have time. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this scripture reference down. And I want you to go home and read this. If you don't know how to worship, if you don't know how to praise God, if you say, you, got, you know, Pastor, I've been trying to learn how to praise God and worship, and I just keep saying the same two or three things over and over again. How do I deepen my worship? Go to the Bible. And find places where they worshiped and look at how they expressed their praise. I'm about to give you one of the most powerful places in the Bible for you to learn to worship. In, in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 9, the Bible says, They sang a song of Moses and the Lamb. They sang a song of Moses and the Lamb. It was a song of deliverance. And I, I would love to read it this morning, but I don't trust myself not to preach on it while I'm reading it. So you write it down and read it when you get home. And I wonder what that sounded like. I mean, just think about it. The children of Israel have crossed over the Red Sea, or actually went through the Red Sea to the other side. They have just turned and looked behind them thinking that surely Pharaoh and his chariots are going to catch up with us. And about the time they thought they were going to catch up, God released the water on them and they watched their enemy go down in defeat. So they wrote a song to express their praise and thanksgiving to God. And it is in Exodus 15, 1 through 9, and you will do yourself a favor to read that. But I wonder what it sounded like. It is estimated that there were 600,000 men and the rest of them were women. Can you imagine 600,000 male voices singing this song of praise to God? How many of you have ever been to a promise keepers gathering? Any of you guys out there? Isn't it awesome, guys, when the men sing? I, I got to tell you, on, on a trip we took uh, to Atlanta to a promise keepers conference, I remember we were in the subway. And it was packed with subway. And there were a bunch of people there from Atlanta. But most of it was the guys. All us guys from Promise Keepers. Somebody started singing Amazing Grace down in that little tunnel down there. I got to tell you something. If my shoelaces hadn't been tied, I believe I'd have gone right on up to heaven right then. It was unreal. And people around us from that city standing there. Tears coming down their face as the Promise Keepers men sung Amazing Grace in the subway uh, system in Atlanta. It was a great moment. I've never, ever forgotten that. And I think about how these men broke out in song after they had been set free from the bondage they had been in and, and then the women joining in on the refrain. 
See, here's my point this morning. You, if you've been delivered, if you've been saved, if you've been born of the Spirit, not just of the flesh, we know you're born of the flesh, you're here today. But if you've been born of the Spirit, you have a song of deliverance. God has set you free. You are set free. And there is a song of deliverance, and you cannot help but sing it. Look what it says in Psalm 40. Let's look at Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. It says, here's what you're singing about. Here's what you're singing about. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Who can say amen to that? Amen. Out of the miry clay. Amen. Y'all are not saying amen real good, so we're just going to act like we hadn't even done that yet, all right? Let's act like we had not even done that yet. So we're going to look at Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He, he also brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on a rock and established my steps. Next one, boys. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. That's what that song is. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear. Some will hear it and fear because you can't sing. But some will see it and fear and will, they will what? That means your worship, your praise, your joy witnesses to the lost man. Your joy witnesses to the lost person. Don't be one of those old sour Christians. I mean, when God has pulled you out of the pit of sin and has set your feet on the rock of Jesus Christ, sing your song. Sing your song. I love this old hymn. It says, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. I mean, if you never knew God, you got a right not to sing. But children of the heavenly king will sing his joys abroad. Amen, amen i got to tell you something. Something's wrong when you claim to be a Christian and uh, you're one of those old... I mean, you look like you got weaned off a dill pickle. You, you, you tell me you're saved and you just, got that, you just got that bad look on your face, that sour look. No joy, no happiness, no victory. I see people sometimes don't even sing during praise and worship here at the church. Because they don't have a song. That song is gone. I read a story about one pastor who was so concerned about his church. His whole church had that sour spirit. I've been in churches like that. I've pastored churches like that. I've been in churches that the whole church sort of had, a, had just a, a sour spirit, a, a, a negative spirit. And this pastor was so concerned and it had just been on his heart and he couldn't sleep and one morning, he called on one of the deacons to pray, and he made a little mistake. He said, Brother John Jones, would you stand and lead us in a word of criticism? And uh, I felt like that before. Amen? I feel like a pastor buddy of mine one time, he said he pastored a church. He said he couldn't do anything right. He said everybody was talking about him, criticizing him left and right. He said it got to the place when the phone rang. He just answered it and go, I'm sorry. You ever felt like that? Well, if you've been redeemed, if you've been delivered, then there's a song of deliverance in your heart. God wants you to let that song out. It is a, 
It is the song of a soul set free. You, if you've been saved this morning, you've been set free. Your sins are forgiven. The Lord Jesus Christ has written your name down in the Lamb's book of life. I am challenging you. I am calling on you today not to forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. And don't let the situations of this life smother your joy because it kills your testimony. Come out from under that. I'm not, I'm not a great singer. I, I like to sing. I'm not one to do solos. Uh, except when I'm in the car and I'm by myself and the windows are rolled up. I got to tell you, uh, I was playing some Christmas music, uh, and, I, and I know y'all don't want to get a visual of this, but I was playing some Christmas music in the shower, and uh, I was pretending the, the shower thing was my microphone. And I got to tell y'all, I'm going to get a, a, a recorder in there because I sound good in there. I'm telling you right now, seriously. Millie came in there, and she thought Elvis had come back to life. But... Um, <laughs> Somebody told me one time, they said, Pastor Farrell, you know, you're what I call a prison singer. I said, really, what does that mean? They said, you're always behind a few bars and can't find the right key. (laughs) I can carry a tune. I just hope nobody's around when I unload it. Amen, amen, amen. I'm not a great singer but I got a song in my heart this morning because I've been born into the family of God. I'm a child of the King. Jesus is my elder brother. And life down here in this world don't always go well and it causes a lot of problems and troubles. But I don't lose my song because Jesus never walks away from me. He's always in there. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 19, Paul said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I want to close with this, with this little outline. And when I say close, seriously, I'm going to close. What steals your song? What what? We talk about it losing our song. What would steal our song? Can I tell you some things that don't steal your song first? Let me give you two things that will, cannot steal your song. But I'll give you one thing at the end that can. If you keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, I want to tell you that sorrow cannot steal your song. And you may be here today and you're suffering from a broken relationship. Maybe that wound is fresh. Maybe it's fresh here this morning. And you're hurting. But as much as you hurt as a child of God, that sorrow cannot steal your song unless you let it. Sorrow cannot steal your song. You might be here today and you've lost a loved one and you're grieving. You're grieving in this service. You know what? You can be grieving long after the loss. And maybe you're here today and you lost someone in your life and you can't shake it. You can't shake that. And the enemy is using that grieving to steal your song so you can't sing, causing you to focus on that loss in your life rather than focus on the goodness and the blessings of God in your life. You say, Pastor, how do you know joy can't steal your song? 
Because when I open my Bible and read the story of Jesus facing dark Gethsemane, Jesus alone in the garden, knowing that he's about to be arrested, knowing that he's about to be whipped and tortured, knowing that he's about to be nailed to a cross and he's about to die. Jesus facing bloody Calvary. Yet with all of these horrifying, horrendous events just around the corner for him, he never lost his song because the Bible says right before the torture, right before the arrest, right before the pain in Matthew 26 and 30, it says, and when they had sung a hymn. Isn't that beautiful? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In the last hours, in the last days of his time on this earth, Jesus was still singing, knowing what he was going to go through. Because the Bible tells us in Psalms that Jesus knew from his youth up why he had come to this earth. All of this death and torture and humiliation that was coming, he knew it from a child. Yet you don't see anywhere where Jesus ever lost his joy because sorrow, unless you let it, sorrow cannot steal your song. The next thing that cannot steal your song, and I know this is going to be hard to hear for some, but it's just true. Suffering. Suffering cannot steal your song. Paul and Silas had their backs lacerated by the sadistic man with the whip as he tortured them for their preaching of the gospel. Paul and Silas bound with stocks and bonds in the filth of a prison. But look what the Bible says in Acts 16.25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and everybody said out loud, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, the others, the lost, see what, see what it does? See what your joy does? It isn't just about you, but when you're joyful, those who don't know Christ see him in you. The Bible says they kept on singing even though their backs had been lacerated and opened up with the whip uh, of that evil man who uh, lashed them. And there they sit in that prison in the filth. And, and, and when you read about the prisons of that day, the sewage, and, and it was all right there. And they were sitting in this filth, and they were sitting in this pain, and they were sitting in all of this. And the Bible says they just started to sing. I, I can see old Silas punch Paul and say, hey, how you doing? Paul says, I'm all right. Hey, man, you feel like singing a song? And Paul goes, yeah, man, let's sing. Maybe they turned over to Psalm 140 in their mind. And they began to sing in their suffering, in their pain, in their suffering. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. <laughs> that wasn't a beautiful situation they were in, was it? But they sung about their eternal situation and it was beautiful beautiful for situation the joy of the whole earth is mount zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king and they sung that maybe the first time it was a little rough you know and 
They were focused on the pain, but the more they sung it, the more the pain went away. I'm telling you, if you can learn to rejoice in your suffering, it will cause your pain to leave you. And I believe they sung it louder and louder and louder, and the louder they sung it, and the more they sung it out of their heart, the more they didn't feel those lashes on their back, the more they didn't smell the filth of that prison. They just saw the glory of God. And I love what old Dr. S.M. Lockridge, that great black preacher, said. He said when God heard them singing, that the Bible says the earth is God's footstool and God had his feet up on his footstool and he heard Paul and Silas singing so he got to patting his foot and his big toe was landing right on that prison cell at Philippi. That isn't in your Bible, so don't look that up. But the Bible says an earthquake came because God was patting his foot, amen. And the Bible says the doors fell off their hinges and the windows fell out of their socket. And every man was set free. But Paul and Silas didn't run because it wasn't about them. It was about lost people. And they saw the guard about to take his own life. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We are here. And the guard came and fell down at the feet of Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And that man got saved, and then they went to his house and told his family the gospel, and they got all, all got saved, and they had a water baptism service right then, right there that day. All because suffering cannot take your song. Not if you don't let it. Sorrow cannot take your song. Not if you don't let it. There's only one thing that can take your song. Sin. Sin can steal your song. King David was a mighty man of God, but he allowed sin into his life. And then you know the story of how Nathan came and David repented in Psalm 51. And I want to read Psalm 51 and 14 as David is repenting of his sin. Look what he said. He said, deliver me from blood guiltiness. What he meant by that was there is blood on my hands. You heard the bishop stand here last week and tell that story so eloquently about David's sin with Bathsheba. But in Psalm 51, David repents. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And when my sin is gone and when my sin is forgiven, then my tongue will again be able to sing aloud of thy righteousness. Sin and sin alone stole David's song. Is there something you need to repent of today? Can I preach like that? Is it okay to preach like that these days? You know, you've got an old preacher, and uh, old preachers preach on sin. Can I preach on sin? You've got, you got hidden sin in your life? You've got some little thing going on in your life, and you think you've got it hidden? It'll steal your song. It'll steal your joy. It'll do what sorrow can't do and suffering can't do. Sin can do it. Is there something you think you've uh, justified in your, in your life? Something you've justified? Something you know is against God's word, but you're walking it out, you're living it out anyway, and you think you've made some little side deal with God and he's told you it's okay for you. Oh, it's sin for everybody else, but I'm going to let you buy on it. Let me tell you something. God don't make deals like that with anybody. 
If there's unconfessed sin in your life, you need to bring it. Because it'll steal your joy. And when, it, and when your joy gets taken, then other things in your life begin to fall apart. And when other things in your life begin to fall apart, that's when your whole life falls apart. Deal with it today. You say, have I got to come up there on that stage and confess it? I sure hope not, because if you did, then I'd have to do that, and I don't plan on doing that. Amen? It's between you and God. Just right here in this house today, right there in your seat right now, bring that thing out and say, God, I've been thinking I could get away with this. I can't get away with this. I've been thinking somehow I worked out a little deal with you, and I've talked myself into believing that, and the enemy has helped me think that I'm okay there, but I know I'm not. I know I'm not. I've known all along this isn't right. So forgive me. And be like that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus said, I don't condemn you because you confessed. But go and what? The Pharaoh Hardison inversion, cut it out. Don't do it anymore. I'm not going to condemn you. That's the way Jesus works. I'm not going to condemn you for your sin, but stop it. Don't return to it. Let me give you some scriptures as we close. These children of Israel came back. Is that a good way to end this sermon series? They were out there on the banks of Babylon, but they came home. You can come home. Listen to me. You can always come home. If you've gotten away from God today, you can come back. He welcomes you back. Look what it says. Jeremiah. We got that, guys? Somebody's asleep. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, back home. And I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Next verse. And I will give them an heart to know me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? This is talking about the children of Israel who are on the banks of the river of Babylon. He says, I'm going to give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Here it comes. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. You've got to come back to God, but I'm going to tell you something. He don't do it piecemeal. You can't give him some of your life, some of your heart, some of your allegiance. You've got to come back and bow down before him and make him Lord of your life. Look what it says in Isaiah 55, 7. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he what? Will forgive how? Man, that's, that's the kind of God right there that waits for you to come back this morning. Look what it says in Isaiah 55, 12. Look at this verse. For you shall go out with what? Joy. And be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. My goodness, you can come home. You can come home. There is nothing that would make God happier today 
than those of you who have never known him come to know him today. Surrender your life to him and be saved this Sunday morning. Like that jailer who said, what must I do? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop running. Stop making excuses. Believe on him. Believe upon the cross for the payment of your sin. Believe upon the resurrection from the grave as life, eternal life for you, and receive Jesus into your life. And then those of you who are Christians, but you've gotten away, he says, come back. Those scriptures I just read to you are very clear that we can come back. When we have gone to the land of Babylon, that land of bondage, we can come back. Listen to this. And he will give you a heart to know him and love him. Do you ever pray that prayer? Turn my heart, oh God. He'll turn your heart. Turn my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Turn my heart, oh God. Make it more like you. Let's stand together today. Would you? Would you just um, step out from where you are? Let's just walk up here to the altar today. I'd like for everybody in the building to come if you're physically able. Nobody's going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. I don't want you to be nervous about coming to our altar. How you worship and how you pray is between you and God. So, As you walk up here, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and let's stay focused on the Word of God today. God has spoken to us in the music. God has spoken to us in the preaching. Even in the secular song that we sung today, He spoke to us and said, you you will not know what you've got. You will not, some of you, He says, won't appreciate what you have until you lose it. Let's don't, let's don't go there. Let's don't go there. Do you know Christ this morning? Do you know Him? Do you Listen, do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? You say, no, I, I don't think I would. I, I've got to do a lot more good things because right now I think the bad I've done outweighs the good. Listen, you can't do enough good stuff to get to heaven. You say, I thought I got to heaven because I did more good than bad. No way. Remember the thief on the cross? He had done no good deed. He had done no good thing. He simply believed on Jesus, and Jesus said, Today I will be with you in paradise. Just believe on Jesus and be saved today. Accept him as your personal Savior. Just say, Lord, I need you. I I need you in my life. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the dead. I've been running from you. I know I need you. And today, I'm not going to run anymore. I want you to come into my life. I, I open my life. I open my heart, Lord Jesus. No more resistance. No more resistance. I need you, Lord. And then those of you who are Christians, but you've gotten away, come back. Come back today. Come back. Let's get our song back so people can see the joy of the Lord in us and that will make them who do not know the Lord desire to know Him. Let's sing together. Let's sing and let's pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.